0: Good morning, so today uh, I'm going to speak about the uh, Shinjin Mei, Trust in Mind, um, a very famous uh, verse, long verse, uh, by Seng San the Third Patriarch, a very important verse in our tradition, uh, which found its way to our Sutra book, obviously. So, Seng Chan was uh, the third patriarch of the Zen tradition, a Dharma successor to Hui Ke, who was obviously a successor of Bodhidharma, the founder of Zen. The, Seng Chan died at uh, 606 CE, so about 1500 years ago. So, there is a famous uh, story, uh, inter- the interaction between uh, Huike, the first interaction between Huike and Seng Chan, and uh, Seng Chan at the time was, uh, was sick, was, uh, had leprosy, and he came to see uh, Huike, and he said to him, I'm riddled with sickness, please absolve me of my sin. And he was uh, holding on to the assumption that because of what happened in the past, because of karma, whether of his own doing or before, he was uh, subject to being sick and he had to suffer that. So Huike said to Seng bring me your sins and I will absolve you. After a long pause, looking at that, thinking about it, Seng said, When I look for my sins, I cannot find them. Huike said, I have absolved you of your sin. You should live by the Buddha, the teachings, and the community, by the three treasures. And um, this uh, response is actually very similar to what Huike experienced when he went to see his teacher, Bodhidharma. He went to see Bodhidharma and he said, My mind is not at peace. Please, Master, pacify my mind. And Bodhidharma said, Okay, go bring me your mind and I will pacify it for you. And uh, Huike went and searched for his mind. Came back, said, I looked and I looked and I wasn't able to find that mind which I claim is not at peace. And Bodhidharma said, there you go. I have given you peace of mind. I have pacified the mind for you. And this is also connected to that uh, verse, the trust in mind. Now this this poem, this verse, uh, Shows a strong influence of Taoism, and which of course had on the development of Zen. And D. T. Suzuki uh, described Buddhism as the mother, Taoism as the father, and the child as Zen. And he said of the child that the child looks more like the father than the mother. So keep that in mind. Now the title. Xin Jin Mei or Xin Xin Ming in Chinese. So it consists of three characters. The first one, Xin, is a character of a person standing by their words, which means trustworthy, reliable. Jin, the second character, is hot, but not hot as we know It, it is more hot mind as one word, hot mind which I will talk about in, in a minute. And the third one is Mei, which means verse or inscription. Now, Heart Mind, Shin, uh, Kokoro, in Japanese. So Okumura describes Kokoro as, he says, ultimately refers to the entire network of interdependent origination in which we are born, live, and die and to which we awaken through our practice. Suzuki describes it as, The mind which is always on your side is not just your mind. It is a universal mind. Always the same, not different from another's mind. It is Zen mind. It is big, big mind. This mind is whatever you see. This mind is at the same time everything. And this is also the same shin as the Makahanya Haramita Shingyo, the heart of perfection of great wisdom. Now, heart mind. The mind, we, when we hear the word mind, we think it's what's in here in the skull. But this is a very small way of thinking about mind. This is not referring to brain, this is referring to everything. That we see and everything that we are unable to see at the same time. Which means there is nothing outside of it. There is nothing inside of it also. There is nothing it does not include. So, this verse begins with saying that the supreme way is difficult only for those who pick and choose simply let go of likes and dislikes the way will fully reveal itself now the way is difficult only for those who pick and choose what does that mean to pick and choose another trans there are quite a few translations to this verse and uh I've been reading a bunch of them, and uh, it's very difficult to also pick the one that we want to raise and look at. And uh, each one of the translations uh, sheds light on different aspects of the of the verse. In an, in one translation, it is referred to as choiceless state of choiceless awareness, right? A state of not picking and choosing, choiceless awareness which is very closely related to what we call Shikantaza in our practice. And for those of you who don't know, Shikantaza is a state of Zazen in which we do not focus on anything in particular, neither the breath nor a koan or anything else, which is a way of saying choiceless awareness or raw awareness, which is not shedding light on anything in particular in our translation it actually says let go of love and hate but uh, we should see it more as let go of likes and dislikes in 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 a way of i love this or i hate that rather than love as the way we we see love which which basically means not attaching to preferences or not being addicted to our preferences Now, obviously, we have to make choices in life, right? So the problem is not with making choices. The problem is with attaching ourselves to what we think the outcome may be or what we hope it may not be, right? What we hope we will arrive at or see if we take this road versus that road. So it's not the choices that create the problem. It's how we move through life so can we choose without choosing can we choose without being attached to our own choice or to what we think will happen if we go this way versus that way so simply let go of likes and dislikes the way will fully reveal itself another translation it says illumines itself the slightest distinction results in a difference as great as heaven and earth for the way to manifest hold not to likes and dislikes the contention of likes and dislikes is a disease of the mind without realizing the profound principle it is futile to practice stillness intrinsically perfect like the great void without lack without excess. So the contention of likes and dislikes is a disease of the mind, isn't it? Without realizing the profound principle, it is futile to practice stillness. And this is talking about alzazen zazen right? So we can sit and sit and sit and not much will change. We can sit and worry about things. We can sit and ponder if we have made the right decisions, if the decisions we have made will yield the desired outcome, right, we can sit and make things worse. So without realizing that this is it, without realizing a state of no mind, a state of choiceless awareness, it is futile to practice stillness. It's a waste of time. Intrinsically perfect, like the great void. Nothing lacking, nothing extra. Why nothing lacking? Well, if you ask the mind, of course there is lack. This mind up here. Of course there is too much. If I ask me, there is a lot there. But what if we don't ask? What happens? when we put the questions aside for a little while? What happens when we put it all aside for a little while? And just be, or practice being. In choosing to grasp or reject, one is blind to suchness or things as they are, in choosing to grasp or reject. And often it doesn't feel like we are choosing It feels like there is no other way which is why we stop on a regular basis and see if there is another way to be. Can I take a break from choosing? Can I take a break from quantifying, from comparing, from judging? Can I just be neither pursue conditioned existence nor stay in idle emptiness so neither pursue conditioned existence so don't run after things in your everyday life right in this reality also don't stay in idle emptiness don't look for emptiness as well don't look for anything when you look all the looking and the searching is Based on an assumption that this is not it. That I am not it. And as long as there is an assumption that I am not it, I will be searching. I, will, I may be searching outwardly. I may be searching inwardly. It really doesn't matter. Neither one will work. In oneness and equality, all self-boundaries dissolve. Trying to steal action is an action itself. Trying to stop something is creating a lot of work, is doing something. I am trying to stop my mind. I am trying to stay here. I am trying to not follow my thoughts. That is creating a lot of wasted energy. Trying to steal action is action itself. Still trapped in duality, how can you, how can you recognize oneness? Failing to penetrate the meaning of oneness, neither side will function. So still trapped in duality, how can you recognize unity? As long as I think that I am here and you are there, then everything is based on that sense or the notion of duality then that's the problem. There is a gap within the gaps. We create issues. So still trapped in a sense of duality, how can we recognize unity? Failing to penetrate the meaning of oneness, neither side will function. Banishing existence entwines you in existence. Pursuing emptiness turns you away from it. So trying to get rid of something gets you caught up in that which you are trying to get rid of. Well, I'm saying there is something there I need to get rid of. Am I not? So as long as I am trapped in that assumption, I am trapped in the trying to get rid of it. Because I claim that there is something there to get rid of. Pursuing emptiness turns you away from it. Searching for from, from nothing turns out, turns me away from nothing. Because I am looking for that. And the looking itself creates a trap. The more you think and talk, the more you go astray. Maybe that's The only important thing we have to look at in Zazen, the more you think and talk, the more you go astray. Stay. Seize all speech and thought. Then everywhere, everywhere, you are with the way. To attain the principle, return to the source. Pursuing reflections, the essence is lost. Inner illumination in a moment surpasses idle emptiness. The appearance of this idle emptiness results entirely from deluded views. No need to search for the truth. No need to search for anything. Just put to rest all views or do not cherish opinions, mostly your own. Abide not in dualistic views. Take heed not to pursue them. Take heed not to pursue them. That is why it's so difficult. As soon as right and wrong arise, the mind is bewildered and lost. I want to read a little commentary here from Musong about that. All categories of dualistic thinking have their own trajectories and stresses and eventually cover up the original stressless condition of mind. Imagine that. Imagine that we are co- right now covering up the stressless condition of mind, of our mind, this very mind, the way we were born. We cover that up. The original condition of the mind is equanimous. And this potentiality continues to exist regardless of how many layers of traces cover it up. To access this potentiality is to recover the original mind essence. When is it not available? Or is it not available? two comes from one hold on not even to one when not even one thought arises all dharmas are flawless free of laws free of dharmas no arising no thought and again Musong, when equanimity is firmly grounded in the zero-ness Zeroness of all things, the world of multiplicity loses its power to confuse or disturb. When equanimity is firmly grounded in the zero-ness of all things, which means here, now, this person, this body, So do not hold on even to the one when realizing, watch out. When realizing, when having an experience of unity, do not hold on to that. The subject disappears with its object. The object vanishes without its subject. Objects are objects because of subject. Subjects are subjects because of objects. Know that these two are essentially of one emptiness. Meaning they don't exist unto themselves. The one emptiness unites opposites. Equally pervading all phenomena. So again, commentary. In radical transformation, there is the transcendence of subject-object duality, which in turn becomes the gateway for letting go of all clinging. An object of thought exists in a unique configuration as a result of the relationship the the thinking subject brings to it. For another person, the same object of thought will have different configuration because the other person's relationship to it will be different. The appearance of mind object in a certain configuration depends entirely on the thinking mind object. When the mind object is purified of its addictive habits of discrimination, the corresponding world of mind objects disappear when there is no world of mind object to support the habit there is no thinking subject either the consciousness is still there but it exists freely of dualistic or discriminatory notions in other words we create it or we create more naturally we create what we are trying to get rid of. or We create our own trap. We create our own trap. We create one thing and when we create one thing we naturally create its opposite. And if we don't create one thing we do not create the other side of that one thing. Not differentiating what is fine or coarse. How can there be any Preferences, if we don't differentiate, where is the issue? Where is the trap? Mu Song says none of Seng San's discussion about subject and object is an abstract philosophical. Argument. It may sound like that, but it is not. Its purpose is to bring us back to the basic issue of addiction to preferences, the way in which that addiction hinders equanimity. When all tendencies to discriminate between this and that are brought to cessation, the habitual patterns of prejudice, prejudice, opinion making and judgments are also brought to an end. We must not minimize the difficulties of this letting go. It's a never-ending process. And again, we must not minimize the difficulties of this letting go. This is practice continues forever, endlessly. We think we got somewhere with it. We think we have freed ourselves. Let go of that thought. Keep going. What was? was do it now or become aware of how the discrimination or discriminatory consciousness works become aware of our addiction to this way of being or this way of thinking become aware The great way is all embracing (laughs) neither easy nor difficult. The narrow-minded doubt this, in haste, they fall behind. So neither easy nor difficult. And we are those narrow-minded who doubt that. Why? Because we're very quick to think this is easy or to say this is difficult. And when we say this is difficult, what happens? When we say this is easy, what happens? And when we don't say any, any one of those two sides, then what happens? With clinging to one of those sides, one loses judgment and will surely go astray. Let everything Let everything follow its own nature. And that is classic Taoist statement. Let everything follow its own nature. Let it. Why interfere? Why get in the way? Why not allow the great, the great way to manifest freely? Why not? The essence neither goes nor stays. We are the next time we are uh, the next study Diamond Sutra study. We are on chapter twenty-nine, and it is about neither going nor staying. So there is a direct connection to that there. To follow your true nature is to unite with the way, which means you are the way. Or you are what you are searching for. So to follow your true nature is to follow the way. Or to study the ways, to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self, to forget the self is to be verified by the myriad things, and to be verified by the myriad things is to be united with the great way. Be at ease and worries will cease. Well, we don't think that way. We think that first we have to take care of all those things before worries will end. When has it ever worked that way for you? Fixation of thought is unnatural. Yet laziness of mind is undesirable. So fixation of thought, as natural as it, seems because it has become very natural for us to be fixated, to worry, to think, to be addicted to thought. Yet it is unnatural. Who would have thought that? Yet laziness of mind is undesirable. It doesn't mean don't think. It means think, non-thinking. It means be here. It's all available, but it does take great discipline to be able to free ourselves from addiction to thought, from addiction to self, from addiction to dualities. Not wanting to wear down the spirit. Why do you hold dear or alienate? Why? hold on, why push away? Why embrace and reject? Why create? Two. To enter the one vehicle. Be not prejudiced against the six dusts, and those are the six senses. To have no prejudice towards the six dust is to come into true enlightenment. Linji said, the six rays, Linji Rinzai, the six rays never cease to emit the great light. Meaning they are not an obstacle, they are an obstacle, only in the mind. Musong writes, this is perhaps one of the most crucial lines in this poem. Acceptance here is not used in opposition to rejection, but rather in the sense of letting things unfold according to their self-nature, their thingness. This kind of acceptance is the middle way between indulgence and rejection. Accepting the world of senses and ideas refer to the radically transformed percept- perceptive, In which one sees dependent arising of things, sees their impermanence, sees their lack of self abiding, and has compassion for those who make investments in this fleeting world. Thus, one has no compulsion to indulge in or reject this world. So, when you think about uh, the teach or, or what the Buddha was trying very hard to teach Subhuti, right? Subhuti was, or or came into the discussion with the Buddha from uh, a belief or trust that the body, the physical body is what we have to go against because it is the obstacle in reaching nirvana, right? And this is saying the exact opposite. Well, not opposite, but he's saying that there is nothing there to reject. It's not an obstacle. It's not something to go against. It's knowing what it means. It's not assigning this and that with a gap in between. It's seeing it for what it is. This is the way we function. This is the way we appear in this world. Or this is the way what we call emptiness manifests in what we call form. The wise abide in Wu Wei. Wu Wei is non doing. The fools entangle Dalmas. Sorry, the fool entangles themselves. Dalmas do not differ, yet the deluded desire and cling. To seek the mind with the mind, is this not a great error? So Wu Wei, non doing. Lehman Pang, you remember Lehman Pang. Right? My supernatural powers. My, the wondrous activity. Not knowing, not doing anything or active all day. He does nothing. This is it. Not wanting anything else. Not waiting for anything else to happen. Not wishing for anything else or anyone else. Wu Wei. Or to get out of the way and to realize that this is it. And to abide in non doing. How is this possible? We are so busy doing, we are so busy wanting to arrive somewhere else or become someone else or get rid of something. Way too much work. Way too much work. So how do we bring or or insert being into doing? And what happens when we bring some being into doing? To seek the mind with the mind. Is this not great error? Who is looking to arrive somewhere else? Right? So, when we say to turn things around and to shine the light on the one who is searching, what do we see? Who is that? Who is looking? In delusion, chaos and stillness arise. In enlightenment, there is no desire and aversion. The duality of all things comes from false discrimination. Well, what about the duality of delusion and enlightenment? What about that? How can we arrive at enlightenment as long as we hold on to delusion? As long as we hold on to here is delusion, here is enlightenment, and here is in between. And I'm somewhere in between. Will I ever not be in between if I create two opposites? Or maybe some days I feel like I'm on one side of the river and some days I feel like I'm on the other side of the river. Still, there is a river. Still, there is a a notion of dividing wall between where I am and where I want to be. Or maybe between where I am now wanting this and worrying that I will end up on the other side somehow. The duality of all things comes from false discrimination. So as long as we discriminate there is a barrier. Dreams, illusions, like flowers in the sky, how can they be worth grasping? Well, what are we holding on to? Is there something there to hold on to? Can we hold on to that? Is it worth grasping? Am I worth grasping? Am I worth defending? I, as me. Am I worth all this work I'm putting into defending? What are we defending? Illusions, dreams, flowers in the sky. Gain and loss, right and wrong, abandon this at once, which means right now. If your eyes are open, dreams will naturally cease. If the mind makes no distinctions, all dharmas are of one suchness. Right? So, because the second we don't separate, there are no separations. The second later, we may be back at separations, and there are separations. All dharmas are of one suchness. In the profound essence of this suchness, one abandons all conditioning. Beholding the myriad dharmas, in their entirety, things return to their natural state. So on that, Musong writes, we have a tendency to blame our condition of unrest, stress, unrest or stress, on external conditions. That's very common, isn't it? And if it's not for that, what should we blame? Who should we blame? If only this or, the, or that were different, I would be perfectly content. Well, everybody's saying that. In our opposite thinking, we create condition of rest as the absence of unrest. But what we're really saying is that we want the stress to go away. We don't want the notion of rest to go away because that's our fallback position. We are equally unwilling to see that unrest derives from the imperative of longing, clinging, becoming in our lives. We somehow have the illusion that if undesirable stresses will go away, we can continue to hold on to those things that we desire. But, as we have been discussing, if equanimity becomes calcified as an identifiable place of resting, it becomes both the cause and result of one's ignorance. Authentic equanimity means a complete letting go Of all likes and dislikes well we are easily letting go of what we don't like what about what we like can we let go of that without any traces remaining only then does equanimity become a place of resting so long as rest and unrest are categories of conceptual self-reference one moves farther and farther away from equanimity So, as long as I'm saying that I am not at peace, I am not at peace. And even if I'm saying that I'm at peace in relation to not being at peace, there is a problem. Both notions are none other than notions. Actually, both notions create duality and create a gap so clinging or pushing away both have to be let go of beholding the myriad dharmas in their entirety the whole thing things return to their natural state and return we all actually returning home We're not creating, we're not building a home. We are returning to our birthright home. And the mind is busy, weaving, creating. I like this, I don't like that. Why is she saying this? Why is he saying that? To me. That's what we do. We are busy, creating, weaving. And as long as we do that, we are not resting in our natural state of being. And we think we have good reasons to do that. Is it worth doing? Is it worth defending? Is it worth creating? As all grounds for distinction vanish, Nothing can be compared or described. So what we have to, to do is let go of the grounds for distinction or for our reasoning to sep- of separation. Why am I created? Why I have good reasons? Well, can you let go of that? Can we let go of our standards So, if we let go of standards, then how can we judge? Why is there a need to judge if there are no standards? When what is still moves, there is no motion. When what is moving stops, there is no stillness. Since two cannot be established, how can there be one? Reaching the ultimate... Rules and measures are non-existent. There are no standards to begin with, except for the standards that we ourselves create and live and die by. My standards, forget your standards. Well, this is what happens. We walk around in this world, many of us, all of us, with all kinds of standards in our heads. And and my standards are different than your standards. How can we experience any sense of equanimity? How can we arrive anywhere? So Musong uh, writes about that. He says, the classical Taoist symbol of yin and yang shows the limitation of this dualistic approach in this symbol yin and yang each has distinct qualities light and dark but each carries a trace of the other at no point therefore is yin holy yin or yang holy yang it is at all times yin yang as one regardless of the not the dominant focus of yin or yang in any given moment in yin yang both yin and yang disappear as indivisible yin or indivisible yang there is a sense here in which all opposites are transcendent by the unity of the whole that exists without opposites it exists without we exist without opposite opposites yet we create a sense of duality And as long as we create a sense of duality, we cannot experience unity. Achieving a mind of impartiality, all striving comes to an end. Doubts are completely cleared. In right faith of mind, in right faith of mind is set straight. Nothing to linger upon, nothing to remember. Nothing to remember, nothing to carry around. Clear, empty, and self-illuminating, the mind exerts no effort. This is beyond the sphere of thought, which reason and feeling cannot fathom. In the Dharma realm of true suchness, there are neither self, no others to reach accord with it at once just practice non-duality non-duality embodies all things as all things are inseparable non-duality by itself is already in accord with all things the wise everywhere all follow this teaching the way it transcends time and space. One thought for 10,000 years. One thought for 10,000 years. Imagine that. So, a single thought of 10,000 years, Musong writes, when time is no longer able to exert its usual control in the unconditioned or one mind, the distinction between one moment and 10,000 years is lost. There is a distinction only when when we make a distinction. Time is not the way it appears to us. In the same way that we are not the way we appear to ourselves. Time is not segments. We are not segmented. Within the conditioned mind, time has become a thing, a measurement that validates itself in relationship to other adjacent measurements. So, if you remove that, you remove that concept, or you relinquish that concept, then what is time? One thought for 10,000 years. Also, what is space? What happens to space when it's no longer seen as segmented? What happens to the mind? What happens to the heart? What happens to us? Being nowhere yet everywhere, all places are right before your eyes, and those of you who are engaged in con study know that there are many cons in our system that relate to that. That will ask you to blow off a candle ten thousand miles away. To take out a big building from a pagoda, sorry, from a teapot. It is asking you to do what the mind finds, the thinking mind finds impossible. Because the thinking mind operates in segments, operates in minutes, operates in a sense of the within a sense of duality. When we put that aside, or let go of that for a little bit, then one thought for 10,000 years. The smallest is the same as the largest in the realm of free delusions. The largest is the same as the smallest. No boundaries or marks can be seen. There are no divisions. Don't try to shove this into a logical mind. A logical mind would spit it out. Don't force reality into a concept. It will kill it. Let it be. Let it be illogical. Logic is great, but greatly limited as well logic is only a tool we have enshrined logic and that's why we are where we we are that's why we suffer because we think it's the ultimate it is just a tool so we have to learn to use it rather than be used by it. existence is precisely non-existence Non-existence is precisely existence. Sounds familiar from the Heart Sutra? If you cannot realize this, then you should change your ways. Today, change your ways. One is everything, everything is one. If you can realize this, why worry about not reaching perfection? If you realize this, why worry? In fact, when you realize these, there is nothing to worry about. But wait a minute. What about all this stuff? What about all this stuff? Does that preclude us from taking care of business? Does that preclude us from functioning? We think it does. We think we have to have that deep, indentation between the eyes and worry because if I don't worry things are not gonna get done things are just fine the worry doesn't make them or doesn't make it easier in fact it makes it a lot more difficult so why worry why not be musong writes this realization is the liberated pers- perspective that is an antidote to dukkha or the sense of anxiety or ink or incompleteness of non-perfection or-, or worrying about non-perfection in the zen tradition one mind is synonymous with true self and in the realization of the true self there is a transcendence of the fragmented conditioned self. Because true self is synonymous with awakening to the truth of this moment, it cannot identify with any of the features of the conditioned self, whose modality is of anguish or dukkha. Perfection and non-perfection are conceptual categories, to realize the unreality of the conceptual is to break open the mold of the value system that speaks of the perfect and the not perfect. I am incomplete. It creates an idea of completeness which I, need, which I think I need to strive for. What if that notion is false? Or what happens when i put that notion aside the notion of incompleteness or the notion of now and later then what then he's saying here that this will break the mold of this value system and it is a value system that we again enshrine. We live and die by that. We live and die by preferences. By likes and dislikes. Like, dislike or indifference. Those are the three realm, realms in which we always find ourselves. Like, dislike, eh, doesn't matter to me. Have you ever been anywhere else? How do we venture out of those three realms? How do we escape this? Trust in the non-duality of mind. Non-duality results from trust in mind. Heart mind, that is. Kokolo. Beyond words and speech. Beyond words and speech. It is neither past nor present. No, future. Neither past, nor present, nor future. So, this is the end of this uh, poem, and I, before we uh, open it up for a short discussion, I want to I wanna read from another translation which I find uh, um, it may be easier to relate to. The great way is effortless for those who live in choiceless awareness. To choose without preference is to be clear. Even the slightest personal preference and your whole world becomes deluded. To perceive reality as it is, is to live with an open mind. When When the lens you look through reflects your personal bias, Your view of reality is clouded. Truth simply is. The clouded mind cannot know it. The great way is empty, like a vast sky. Silence the busy mind and know this perfection. Be be seduced neither by the outer world nor by your inner emptiness. Reside in the oneness of things where distinctions are meaningless. Trying to still the mind inhibits the experience of oneness, for the very action of trying is the busy mind at work. Live in the great way where action is stillness and silence pervades. Deny the reality of things and miss true nature. Assert that emptiness exists and it will disappear. To experience reality, stop using words. The more you talk about things, the farther away from the truth you stray. Return to oneness and discover its essence. Being dazzled by appearance, you miss the truth. Go beyond both appearance and emptiness and find the unmoving center. Pursue the confusion of your opinions and the eternal mind is lost. Rather than focus on knowing the truth, simply cease to be seduced by your opinions. Duality appears in the minutest traces. Carefully avoid the trap. If there is even an inkling of right and wrong the enlightened mind ceases to be everything there everything there is comes from oneness but oneness cannot be described holding any trace of it in the mind is to deny the essence of emptiness when the mind is still nothing can disturb it when nothing can disturb it Reality ceases to exist in, its, in the old way, the habitual way. When you understand the relationship of subject and object, thinker and thought, and how they create each other, you recognize that these are not two, but one. Don't strive to know particulars, when what you want to experience is one. It is beyond the nature of the mind to perceive the reality it cannot describe. Oneness has nothing to do with hard or easy, for it is beyond every opposite. It cannot be found, it cannot be retained. To grasp it as it is, is to miss it entirely. Not trying to go faster or slower, be still and let go. Just don't just let things be, for it is exactly as it should be. Returning to your true nature, spontaneity and essence are found. This is the space that, that allows that always exists and that holds all within. True reality is hidden, by the practice of thought, but also in the denial. Accept the reality of not naming things and rest in the silence of being. Use your senses to experience reality, for they are part of your empty mind. This empty mind takes note of all it perceives and is guided by its sensing needs. While the ignorant are bound to emotional choices, attaching themselves to their ignorance, the wise experience life through not reacting at all, unswayed, uninvolved, unattached. The need to name, the need, the need to distinguish are born of a clinging fear. Remain unattached to every thought and know the true nature of being. Be inattentive and mind is an irritant with dreams that disturb reality. Why look for trouble and distress when awareness is so freeing? High and low, good and bad, All duality disappears, and all dreams abate when the inner calm is met. When the mind ceases all movement, ceases judging, ceases conceptualization, the deep, cool essence of suchness becomes a way of life. When all things are perceived with an open mind, They return to their natural way. Without any movement, without any description, they are an undivided part of the whole. True nature is impartial. It has no causes or rules. With the mind in undivided unity, wisdom is radiated. Trust in true nature. Keep your heart strong. Pure mind is pure wisdom. To part from it is foolish. All is empty, all is clear. No effort is made, for none is needed. When there is neither self nor other, awareness simply is. Meet doubt directly with the words not to, and know that nothing can be separate and all is one. There is nothing that is not included. This is an eternal truth. Absolute reality is beyond time and space. Empty and infinite, existing as one. Opening before your eyes, a vast presence. The very small and the very large are equal. Boundaries and limits do not exist. Being and non-being both exist. For whether you see it or not is of no consequence. One thing is all things, and all things are one. What is and what is not are equal. Once this is realized, there is no need to worry about anything. To live and to trust in this non-dual mind is to move with true freedom, to live without anxiety, upon the great way. Language contains no way to describe the ultimate unity of suchness beyond belief, beyond expression, beyond space, beyond time. So what is there to add to this? Where are we at? where are you at this is obviously deeply profound and in a way we can see that as both instructions for Zazen and instructions for life instructions of realizing the fundamental point and actualizing the fundamental point and this is our practice this is it. So, who has any words to share? We're going to go to Razan. He's going to share some words with us. Now before you do one thing I want to add to that, uh, you probably remember uh, Trung Tzu was saying that he has forgotten all the words. And now he's looking for somebody who also forgotten all the words so he can have a conversation with this person. That will be a true conversation. So it's up to you, okay. um, what I, um What I saw coming
1: out of this or how I'd summarize it is that uh, the trusting mind gets part um trusting that we don't need the provisional self the provisional self is the problem solving and we can get so good at what we do when we do those sorts of problem solvings and that there could be um a situation in which that's totally not needed uh often is so um well, counter to everything that we are, right? We identify ourselves through what we do with all of our problem solving. There's things that we're really good at. Um, and um, to to be in a situation like in Zastan where that's just not needed and, and you can just um, let it go, uh, that you can trust that you can be in that situation and that um there's no problems to be solved uh there's no need for whatever wonderful things we can do with our everyday lives um that it's you know it's beyond um that provisional self so that to think of the provisional self as only situational that it arises in relation to a particular situation and then it's not there anymore uh you know a new situation arises and it's a new provisional self um but we get so engaged with the wonderful things that we can do that you know we are all experts in doing many things Uh, i'm sure many of you can cook dinners that i would be amazed to eat and um you can get into well maybe not vincent um you can get into um yoga poses that i would just be amazed that the human body could do such a thing um but that's all situational and i think it's really really hard for us to get that into our minds that we can sit without all of that that all of that is really important and we're going to use it and Uh, It's not something to be denigrated, um, Mm -hmm. but that when we sit, it's just irrelevant. Uh, And that it's, um, you know, to trust, that's a huge amount of trust. So big, I mean, because that's so much of our lives. Um, But I think if we can trust to get beyond that, we can open ourselves more to what you've been describing.
0: Yeah, thank you. So uh, to, to realize is to actually celebrate the provisional self right to 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 celebrate the uniqueness of this provisional self we happen to occupy for the time being right it's not something to worry about something to compare or judge or quantify it's something to celebrate and 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 we we are we are so caught up in worrying about it because we create divisions because because we compare because we don't see it for what it is we don't see it for what it is we see it for what we create of it or as we create it and we worry about it but it's provisional it's for the time being it is fleeting anyone else How about, uh, daibo?
2: Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. So picking and choosing is a prison. Um, seems counterintuitive, right? You know, picking and choosing is freedom, right? Pick this, pick that, do this, do that. I like this. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, I think where I come down on this is, um, you know, when it's about being attached to outcomes, it's about being attached to the way that we believe that things should be. Mm-hmm. And the way that we try to create our lives, um, and make it happen. Now, obviously, planning and scheduling and things like that, we all need to do that. Right. But it's in the doing that the planning and the scheduling disappears Mm -hmm. and not being attached to, you know, I plan to do this and I'm planning this to come out this way, and this is the way that it's going to be. And if it, if it works, then it's good. If it doesn't work, then it's bad. Mm -hmm. The notion of the schedule and the planning and all of the thoughts and things that we do, they disappear in the actual doing of them. Mm -hmm. And as we do those things, the picking and choosing disappears. Um, and, and that's the freedom, the freedom is being in the doing and not being in the sort of metadata of Mm -hmm. the act Mm -hmm. saying, well, I did it, did it work? Did it not work? How did it feel? Did it feel good? Was it conducive? Was it not conducive? There's only the doing. And that's where the picking and choosing kind of melts away. And, you know, we, we attain that Buddha eye, you know, where emptiness and Dharma reality merge into the path of non-duality. And I think that that's kind of what you were talking about a little bit with non-duality.
0: Yeah, thank you, Dabo. Uh, I think in English it'd probably be, uh, we could use the word choo- do not be choosy. It's not don't choose. You know, I think the word choosy probably refers better to, to what we're talking about here, right? So, and, and the problem is not with make, obviously we are always uh, confronted with having to make choices. We always, uh, we have to do that. That's how we function. And, and that's not a problem, right? And, but as long as we don't recognize unity, then we are going to be tormented by any choice, any choice, while we are making the choice and later on maybe regretting it. It's just it's a never-ending mud, basically, right? And and so that's why Dogen said, to go one mile east is to go one mile west. That's another way to say that. It doesn't matter. And we have to arrive at it doesn't matter before we can truly care about things in life, before we can truly enjoy and be present, we have to arrive at it internally, and understand, or, or, or um, trust, that this is everything, that we are everywhere, all at once, so then we don't get so bogged down by, is it the right choice, should I be doing this, is this better than that, Am I, am I better, am I worse? I thought I'm there now I'm here. What about what other people think about me? What about what I think about myself?
2: Right, and that's where the choosing becomes the prison.
0: Yes. Well, that's how we create something we create the prison out of life. Life is not like that. When when the, the freedom
2: is right there all the time.
0: To yes. Just
2: do The freedom from just, just choose, right? Don't think about choosing. Don't weigh the choice, just choose and then do it. Right. That's the freedom. The, the, the prison becomes when we start to add everything on top of that. Right. We have to, like you say, we have to choose. We have to live. We have to, our lives have to move forward and there are things that need to be done. So, you know, we have to choose when we bring the car to the shop, right? We don't bring the car to the shop we have no car so
0: yeah but that comes down to the more you think and talk the more you go astray yeah. one thought one word that's how it begins we could be perfectly fine one moment the next moment all of a sudden the mind starts to go in a certain direction and we go with that and what happens and all of a sudden there's stress building up in the body all of a sudden, we start to worry about something. A minute before, it was fine. What happened? One thought, one word, or we hear something, or there is a connotation about something. And there it begins, and it begins to we begin to weave it internally, and we react to what we create. What if we don't create anything? What if we don't ask the question? What if the, the, you know, the alarm you know, goes off in the morning and we wake up? And we just go do what we decided to do already. Then what? There's no problem. But I don't feel like doing it. Here's the problem. Nobody's asking you, why are you answering? Because I'm asking. Because I'm asking, what would I like to do right now? What's wrong with this? Right? What's wrong with this? Well, if we don't compare it, nothing is wrong with this. If we compare it, nine times out of 10, there's something wrong with this. Or maybe 10 out of 10, if we look deep enough. Right? 10 out of 10, something's wrong with this. Or with this one here. So, okay. I wanted to uh, finish, we're going to wrap it up, I just to, to make a connection with Taoism. Just a couple of short uh, excerpts from the Tao Te Ching. So it begins by the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name, right? And you can see the connection, obviously. And another one. The Tao, the way, doesn't take sides. It gives birth to both good and evil. The Master doesn't take sides. She welcomes both saints and sinners. All is one, one is all. Let's not create dual. Let's not fall into the trap of our own creation of duality. So this may have to be continued at another time. So, but uh, but thank you all for being here, for listening, for practicing. Thank you.